This is the ninth and the last sermon in the series on prayer. So how can we conclude a series on prayer without talking about the Lord's prayer? Even the disciples asked the Lord Jesus, teach us how to pray. And the Lord Jesus did not rebuke them. Instead, he taught them how to pray. And that's what we call as the Lord's Prayer. This is the single richest source of information on, on prayer in the entire Bible. Let me repeat it. This is the richest single source of information in the Bible on how to pray. Till now we were only looking at the case studies of people praying. You know, we looked at Abraham's prayer, Jacob's prayer, Moses' prayer, David's prayer, Daniel's prayer, Haman's prayer. We were just looking at case studies. People were praying. But what we have in the Lord's prayer is, a, is the model of true prayer. And this is for every one of us. Jesus Christ gave it to us as the key to unlock all the riches of prayer. It is so important. But unfortunately, it still remains as an untapped resource for all of us, mainly because of our familiarity with this prayer. You know, Jesus is saying, wouldn't you like to come face to face with the Heavenly Father and the King of the universe to pour out your heart to Him and you sensing that He's listening to you. Wouldn't you come and have an experience like that with the Heavenly Father? And we, we of course, what will be our answer? We'll say yes. Yes, Lord. We would like to have that experience. We all want to have that spiritual experience. Then Jesus responds, it is all in the Lord's prayer. And then we say, in the what? Jesus says, it's all in the Lord's prayer. And we say, what? Because this is a prayer I have been saying right from my childhood days. It is so familiar, we can no longer hear it. That's the problem. You know, we were staying opposite to uh, Whitefield Railway Station in the nights. You know, initially, we could he hear all the trains passing by. After a week, we had no idea. So, in the same way, this prayer has become so familiar, we no longer see anything great in this prayer. Because we have become so familiar with it. But the Lord Jesus says, everything we need, it is in this prayer. So today, let's meditate on the Lord's prayer. Let's rise to our feet for the scripture reading taken from the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 to 15. Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 6, verses 
5 to 15. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is God's word. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Glorious Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Spirit of God, minister to each one of us as we listen to your word. We bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Kindly be seated. In this passage, our Lord Jesus Christ is teaching about you know, the subject of prayer. Basically, our communion with God, our fellowship with God. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching us in this passage. But too often when we read, we read it, oh, he's talking about Pharisees. So it is no longer applicable to me. That's the way we tend to read this passage. But what the Lord Jesus is teaching us in this passage is, he's talking about the terrible effects of sin. Now you may be wondering, Jesus never even uttered the word sin. You know, Jesus is talking about the fallen condition of human beings in this chapter. You know, the man is engaged in the highest activity, the noble activity. What, what's the highest noble activity that comes to your mind? Prayer. And even while he's engaged in that highest spiritual activity, activity, sin is still following him. That's what Jesus is drawing our attention to all of us. You know, last Sunday we heard about dented spirituality, about King Hezekiah, if you remember, 
you know we talked about the king's selfishness and pride and Jesus Christ is talking about the very same subject here so let us look at the Lord's prayer under three headings how not to pray how to pray and how to pray like Jesus how not to pray how to pray and how can we pray like Jesus so we'll look at the first one how not to pray so the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching us that we should avoid three things even before we start praying three things we should avoid even before we start praying the first one is avoid unnecessary attention in verses 5 and 6 and when you pray do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others I tell you the truth they have received their reward in full but when you pray go into your room close the door and pray to your father who is unseen then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you you know Jesus Christ is showing us that sin is something that follows us even into the very presence of God sin is following us even into the very presence of God sin is something terrible it is terrible you know it not only it follows us to the gates of heaven if possible it will also come inside heaven after all you know even before Adam and Eve fell the first fall took place in the heaven we all know the story the first fall took place in heaven even before Adam and Eve fell to sin Satan was a bright angelic being who challenged the very authority of God so sin was there the first fall was there itself so long as we look at our spiritual spirituality as in terms of activity then we have not understood the essence of sin biblically it is not even the activity it is the disposition of our heart the condition of our heart you know we come to realize how sinful we are you know we look at a drunkard and we say that is sin but Bible doesn't say that is sin the Bible is talking about our condition of heart that is sinful the very disposition of a heart when we come into the presence of God you know what happens to us even while we are praying man is tempted to think about himself rather than God even while praying we think more about ourselves then on God what what is Jesus doing in this passage basically is carrying out an analysis 
you know it's uh, you know he's talking about what religiosity what does religiosity do to a man in other words he's talking about religious people jesus is saying here go go and say prayer in secret but here these people are do, when you pray do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men uh, for a long time i thought you know the street corners the evangelistic preaching people stand in the street corners and they do that uh, jesus is not talking about that that's how i understood this passage jesus here is a man who wants to pray and he is on the way to the temple and he is so anxious he wants to show to others how pious he is he just stands in the street corner and he prays jesus is talking about that kind of person it's not an evangelistic meeting he is just standing in the street corner and he's trying to show everyone how pious how holy he is and when he goes to the synagogue he takes the most prominent position and he sits there that that's what jesus is talking here most of the things we do in the christian life are those which can be seen we have come to the church you know all know who all have come to the church when we attend missions prayer bible study community prayer you know all these activities are seen religiosity religious activities are always seen but jesus is telling us jesus is not saying don't take part in religious activities what he is telling is you there's something more important than that as you do these religious activities don't forget to pray in secret that's what jesus is telling us it's not that we should not come to church we should not attend bible study that's not what jesus is talking about it's telling have you been to that quiet place have you been to that secret place now why is jesus so against religious activities you know people use religious activities most of the time to show how good they are how holy they are how perfect they are in other words they say i am a holy man i am a perfect man in an indian context i don't want to name but you can see the religious activities you take all the cameras you know uh, you go to the religious places and you do prayers and you all the spotlight is on you basically it is i am a holy person i am a moral person i am a good person they religious people use the religious activities as a platform to consolidate their power it happens in the church inside the church it happens outside the church jesus is talking about religious activities you know we can use prayer all we can make all announcement 
just to control people, to exercise power over people. It happens whenever people are involved in religious activities. Whenever we highlight, whenever we advertise, basically it is just to retain power. Through religious activities, they retain power and Jesus says that is not true spirituality. Mothers, if they are not careful, they can also, at times, they can act as saviors for their children if they are not careful. They use their own, you know, if a child has problem, you come to me, I'll pray, everything will become all right. It continues like that, mothers unknowingly they tend to control their children even into their adult life. You have any problem, you just tell me. I will pray, it will become all right. You see how religious activities are being used to exercise control over others. I'm sure you're all able to relate it. You know, if you open the newspaper, you can see all the pictures. What, we, what people do in religious activities to exercise control and Jesus is talking about that. We use our religion, religious activity, even in the churches, you know, you can organize prayers, you know, it's not bad, but you can also organize prayers basically to exercise, consolidate your position and power and Jesus Christ is totally against that. How do we know that we are not like that? How do we know that we don't use our religious activities to consolidate our own position, our own self-esteem? How do we know that? The answer is very simple. The answer is how long do we spend our time in private, secret, prayer life. How long? How long? When no one is seeing us, watching us, how long do we spend in the presence of God? You know, that gives us the answer. Whether we are religious or not. We are in the presence of God, not even to get things from God. We are in the presence of God just to know God better. If, if we are like that, then we are definitely, we are not religious people. So Jesus is telling us, avoid unnecessary attention. How not to pray? Avoid unnecessary attention. And Jesus is saying, avoid vain repetitions. Matthew 6, 7, it says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. There's an interesting Greek word in this verse, babbling. Babbling means making an intense petition, a repetitive prayer, a frantic petition. It means praying intensely. You know, you pray so intensely, you come out with that impression, 
God has to do this. God has to give this. Because I have prayed so frantically. I have prayed so intensely. God has to do this. He has to bless me. In other words, you say that I am a pious person. I am a diligent person. I keep asking and God has to do this. How can he say no? You know what's happening here? You are saying that, you know, you are depending on your spiritual performance. You have forgotten you have been saved by grace. It is my spiritual performance and people are interested in it. You know, if you teach them, you know, come, we'll cry out. People will be, I'm not saying don't cry out. If you have to cry, you cry out. But don't say that because I have cried out, God has to answer me. That's what Jesus is using the word babbling. When you pray, do not keep bab keep on babbling like pagans. Pagans, they try to take control of their gods. They try to take control of their gods. You don't be like that. You don't try to take control of God because I want you to have a relationship with God as a father. That's, that's the most important thing. You know, in the, if you read this entire chapter, God is uh, referred as a father at least 12 times. And Jesus wants each one of us to come to the presence of God to know God as our Father. Today is Father's Day and it's good to look at God as our Father. It does not mean you should not pray and you, know, you should only pray as our Father who art in heaven. That's the way we should pray. Or we should not pray, Lord God Almighty, King of Kings, Good Shepherd. It doesn't mean that we should not pray like that. What Jesus is telling is the primary kind of relationship that we should have with God is as Father. God should be as a Father. Our relationship with God is based on grace. All of us have been saved because of God's grace, not because of our good works, not because of our righteousness. We were saved while we were at sinners. It is not we became holy people, pious people, and then we were saved. We were saved while we were at sinners. So we have been saved by grace. So know God as your father, you know, who is a good, good father. Sometimes people say, Pastor, how can I relate to God as my father? Because I didn't have a good father. Now, how do you know you did not have a good father? Because deep down you realize that a father is supposed to be like this. That's the reason you are saying, I don't have a good father. I didn't have a good father. So deep down you feel that, you know, if a father is supposed to behave like this. So too often we look at God from the perspective of earthly father. That's not the right way of doing. 
all fathers who are here, we have to evaluate ourselves from the perspective of Heavenly Father. And when we, when I look at myself as a father, from the perspective of Heavenly Father, I feel I have failed. I cannot stand in the presence of God. I need the grace of God. That is our Heavenly Father. All the fathers, if you're honest enough, with all your best intentions, you will accept. Somewhere down the line, we have failed. When you look at the Heavenly Father and when you, you know, evaluate yourself. We are not supposed to evaluate God based on our earthly father. Rather, the earthly fathers are supposed to evaluate themselves you know, based on the standards of the heavenly father. That's the reason God says, avoid vain repetitions. God is your father. He knows what you need. Then the third thing you need to avoid is avoid techniques. Prayer is based on relationship. It is not based on techniques. People are interested. I'll teach you 10 techniques to effective prayer. People will run there because I have learned techniques, how to pray. Jesus is against that. Your relationship, you know, your prayer should be based on your relationship with God, not on your techniques. Jesus is telling us in this passage, there's a false way of praying and there is also a true way of praying. And our Lord deals with both of them. The trouble with the false way is our very approach is wrong. In, in the false way, we concentrate on ourselves rather than concentrating on who God is. We are in the presence of God. In the, despite that, we are only focusing on ourselves and not on God. Uh, in Matthew 6, 5, Jesus said, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. It doesn't need uh, more explanation. False prayer is all about yourself drawing attention to yourself, thinking about yourself, it is its false way of praying. The right way of praying, Jesus is telling in verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, the principle here is, you know, I have been strongly convicted as I was preparing this message. As you close the door, you know, the other versions will say, as you shut the door and when you get inside your closet to pray, you forget other people. That's the principle here. And you not only forget other people, you forget yourself. That is the principle that's being taught here. It's not that I don't have a room, I don't have, and I am living in a one-bedroom house, I don't have a room where I can go and close the door. It's not that closing the door. What is the closing the door means? 
when you come into the presence of god you forget about others you forget about yourself and if you have forgotten about others forgotten about yourself what is left now god concentrate on god and i feel how miserably i have been doing in my prayer life you know focusing only on god that is you can you don't need to have a separate room as you walk as i stand here i can do that as you walk you can do that thinking about god focusing on god that's what's meant by this verse when it says but when you pray go into your room close the door and pray to your father who is unseen then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you we can close the door we can tell nobody should come i am praying and as you enter the room you can keep thinking about yourself your problems your family that's not what jesus is referring here he's referring when you come to god you know you just plunge yourself into that greatness of god come and pray have an intimate relationship with god everything is based on our relationship grace of god come bathe yourself in that god's graciousness that's what it says we can close the door whole time we can keep thinking about ourselves and we can also take pride about our prayer life see i spent i spent so much of time in prayer jesus is against that kind of prayer so how not to pray you know avoid unnecessary attention avoid vain repetitions avoid techniques that's very important jesus christ is telling even before you begin to pray avoid these three things and then how to pray most of us are familiar with that i don't have to explain much how to pray adore first thing is adore we come to the prayer our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven 40 to 50% of the lord's prayer is all about god in other words when you come into the presence of god you know you are not talking about we are not talking about our difficulties our problems our pain lord jesus is saying that it's all about god he is our father almighty god is our father so it is you know this such a rich theology of god our father he is in heaven he is he is in a, a transcendent being he is not like us he is an almighty god he is a holy god he is a loving god so forgiving god he is a sovereign god who reigns forever and ever and ever it's all about god he says when you know jesus is teaching us when you come into the presence of god just plunge into the greatness of god it is just as you jump into the swimming pool you swim into the greatness of god that's what jesus is asking us he's teaching us he taught his disciples when you come into the presence of god 
just plunge into the greatness of God. This is what we all have to learn because we have been so we have become so familiar with this prayer, we are not seeing the richness of this prayer. And it's just a model prayer. It's not the prayer. This is the prayer we have to say. That means whenever we come into the presence of God, first we need to think about the greatness of God. Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the great God. No, God give me that, God give me that, no. It's first about the greatness of God, adore him. Second thing is accept. You know, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. First, you know, submit yourself to God's will, even before you start asking. Your will be done on earth as it's in heaven. Once you say, Lord, let your will be done, Jesus Christ has not yet taught us to ask about our needs. We say, Lord, give me this, give me that. Oh God, if it is your will, you give me this. We have just reversed that order. You know, Lord, I want this. You do this and then we know that, okay, as a token of concession, we say, Lord, if it is your will, you give it to me. Jesus is saying, first let your will be done. Even before you ask, I want this, I want that and all. So accept. Let God's, Lord, when we come into the presence of God, it is let, Lord, let your will be done. Because we are talking to our Father, our Father. If you know your Father is a good person, kind person, slow to anger, abounding in love, it is only at that time we can say, Lord, let your will be done. Then ask, whatever you want to ask, ask. After saying these two things, now you will say, what is left now? It is better not to ask, let your will be done. Now you ask, Lord, give us this day a daily bread. Give us this day a daily bread. Once you surrender your will to God's will, then you ask whatever you want, spiritual blessings, material blessings, promotions, demotions, good life partner, everything you can ask. After you have said you want visa, you want success, you say after you have said let your will be done, now you can ask everything you want. You can pray against violence, injustice, ignorance, poverty, sickness, healing, we can ask for everything, whatever is there. And Jesus Christ is also teaching us, give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. Not for tomorrow. Basically, it's coming from the wilderness passage. They were supposed to collect their manna only for the day, not for the next day. You know, Christian life, we live with such radical generosity if God does not provide for us tomorrow, then we don't have. That's the level of dependence that we have on God. Our life is radically, we are so generous. That's why, you know, outside people will consider us as foolish. You know, I've heard people write in this church saying that I have a Christian friend in my place and when I talk to him, 
you know, I give so much to the church, I give so much to my, you know, I have to pay my EMI. And they say, why are you doing all this? This is not non-Christian friend, Christian friend. Why are you doing this? Why should you give to church? Why should you do like this? So giving will always be challenged. And, you know, Christians are, they, are, they don't hoard their wealth. They don't say, I have earned for generations to come. We just, Lord, give us our daily bread. We depend on God so much that if God doesn't give, uh, give me tomorrow, for tomorrow, I don't have. That's, that's the kind of dependency. And can God do that? Can God give us? Sure, he can give us. If you have tasted your God as Jehovah Jireh, you will realize you can depend on him. You don't have to sit and calculate, but you can always listen to God. Everything I have is yours. Have your way. So God is telling us, give us today our daily bread. And then Lord's prayer should transform us, be transformed. How many times we have said this prayer, if it does not transform us, that means we have not understood this prayer. You know, this prayer, you know, Jesus is telling us, make me a certain kind of person. Make me a certain kind of person. You know, make me a forgiven person. If you see in verse 15, it says, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Is it not a scary verse? We talked about our heavenly father. And then it says, if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. You know, religious people will always struggle to forgive others. It will be very difficult. They will be very religious, very pious. But when you, when we look into our own hearts and if you find there is unforgiveness, there is bitterness, that means we have not forgiven others. And the Lord is telling, if you don't forgive others, your father will also not forgive others. Let us take these verses seriously because we have become so familiar. We just say God is a loving God. God will forgive. It doesn't matter. God is a loving God only. Jesus is telling our father who art in heaven and then he is also telling if you do not forgive, your father will not forgive your sins. Unless, you know, that's why we always go back to salvation. Salve, the more you understand your salvation, you grow in your salvation. Salvation is not a one-time activity. You came and you accepted Jesus as your personal savior. As you start growing in relationship with God, you realize, you know, for you, for us, what what matters more is salvation. While I was yet a sinner, Jesus died for us. I was an unworthy sinner. I was a wretched person. But every time I look back, how could this loving God, holy God, pursue me? Though I was so wretched, how could he pursue me? How could he even say, you are my child? It should move us. We should be transformed. And when we know 
if god has forgiven an unworthy person like me then i have no right not to forgive others it is only when i think others are superior to me i'll find it difficult to forgive others once we realize how unworthy i was and how god has forgiven me it becomes easier for me to forgive others if we have not forgiven others that means we have stopped blocked our relationship with god we may be praying you know we may be doing all religious activities but actually we are not having a lively relationship with god so how not to pray how to pray then finally how can we pray like jesus how to pray like jesus our lord jesus practiced what he preached so when we look at the life of jesus towards the end of his life he prayed the very same prayer you know in matthew chapter 26 verse 39 you know at the end of his life in the garden of gethsemane jesus going a little farther he fell with his face to the ground and prayed my father if it is possible may this cup be taken from me yet not as i will but as you will yet not as i will but as you will why did he take that cup he took that cup for me he took that big cup for me for my sins he became weak for me he was humiliated for me he suffered for me and he said may this cup take be taken from me yet not as i will but as i as you will so he has taken that cup for each one of us if he has taken that big cup all of us can carry our small cup we can still say lord let your will be done in my life not as what i want what you want let your will be done never forget jesus took that big cup so that we are saved we all can carry a small cup each one has to carry a small cup in our lives it could be a our disappointment struggles sickness pain separation we need to learn to carry that small cup knowing fully well god is with us life is not free from struggles trials and temptations but one thing is certain he carried that big cup we can always carry that small cup it is not avoiding that small cup sometimes we use prayer as a technique to avoid that small cup it is it is the lord's prayer which gives us the grace and strength to carry that small cup for his glory so how do we apply this message you know the lord's prayer enables us to grow in our relationship with god and others you know we are approaching god as father what a great privilege we can call god as our heavenly father god who created the heavens and the earth 
God who knows everything, we call him as our heavenly father. What a great privilege. So every time the Lord's prayer, we say, you know, the prayer is inviting us into the very presence of God. So we grow in intimacy with God. You know, when I was thinking, you know, how many thousands of times I must have said this prayer, but I don't think I've grown in that intensity in my relationship with God because it has become a routine. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But if only if we take little time and we really learn to say that prayer in our closet, in that secret room, and you know, you know, many times I get the question, Pastor, how can I grow? You know, how can I get closer to God? This is the way to get closer to God. Our Father who art in heaven. Our Father, knowing God as my Father. You know, it is like a four-year-old relating to a 40-year-old father. The four-year-old child can come and ask God, you know, a 40-year-old father, anything. Can I put my finger in that socket? The father will say, yes, go and do it. Can I drive the car? Can I take that? Can I drink this? Can I take that bottle? Now the f most of the time, the father will say, no, 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 no. When we approach God also, we are like that. Four-year-old approaching 40-year-old. But we think we are 40-year-old 40 40 and God is four-year-old. Whatever we ask, God should give us. So this prayer teaches us we are just four-year-old kids. God is 40-year-old. Once we realize that our dependency on God increases, our relationship, you know, the four-year-old, once the child knows the father, it's not a great struggle. But the child doesn't get everything it asks for. You know, Martin Luther said, and also our relationship with others also will grow because we don't carry bitterness. This morning, if you think that you are having bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, it's time probably to think about our own heart condition. Martin Luther said, if anyone insists on his own goodness and hates others, let him look into himself. When this petition confronts him, he will find he is no better than others and that in the presence of God, everyone must duck his head and come into the joy of forgiveness only through the low door of humility. If you and I, if we understand our salvation, the radical forgiveness that we have received from our Lord Jesus Christ, then it's easier for us to accept whatever God brings in our lives and also to forgive others. There are like Pastor Prem said, 2,000 words lost, accept it. So whatever God brings into our lives, we'll be able to accept, we'll be able to forgive others. Our relationship with others will become better. We don't have to live with unforgiveness. We don't have to live with bitterness. Once we know that we 
are forgiven sinners. Lord has redeemed us. In Galatians chapter 1 verse 5 he says he redeemed us. We were all sinking. It doesn't matter you are sinking 5 feet or 10 feet. It doesn't matter. All of us were sinking. If there was no rescuer, that was the end of our lives. But God came and he picked us up. He rescued us. So once we understand that we have been rescued, then it's easier for us to forgive others. And Lord's Prayer teaches us, get closer to God. There's nothing greater than that. The secret prayer is not that we close the door, put the bolt so that everybody can hear now it's time for prayer. He has gone for prayer. It's not that. Secret prayer is as you walk, as you focus only on God, that is your closet. Not that you need to have a separate room. You know, tell your children, keep quiet. Papa is praying now. You know, now that you'll tell loudly also so your neighbors also can hear that. That is not the kind of prayer Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about, think, focus on God. How great is our God. 